that is what we're here to do is to worship the Lord this morning uh, through baptism. Let me share with you a verse of scripture that comes from Romans uh, chapter 6 uh, that says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And that is what Jared and Martha come uh, to do this morning, to follow through with believers' baptism. And so you celebrate with them this morning as they come into the waters of baptism. Jared, if you'll come. Jared, what is your profession of faith? Jesus as Lord. Upon your profession of faith as Jesus as Lord, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, and risen to walk in a newness of life. Amen. What is your profession of faith? Jesus as Lord. Upon your profession of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, and risen to walk. We've got a few more that we're going to be doing uh, next Sunday, so, uh, and hopefully maybe some that will come forward this morning. I uh, just want to take a moment, though, to welcome those who are with us uh, online and to share with you some of those things that uh, we need to share with you. You can find us there on Facebook and on Twitter at HBC Tullahoma, YouTube at Highland Baptist Tullahoma, and then our phone live streaming. Uh, we have several people who use that, so be sure to call us if you need that number. Uh, but be sure to heart, to like, to share uh, the posts that are there. Uh, and that just helps to get the word out. Uh, even more. I uh, encourage you to go to the church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's there you can download the worship bulletin. Uh, you can pick up one of those in the windowsill. Our ushers will be glad to give you one if you're here in person. And then we also have our children's worship bulletins there in this windowsill over here to my right to your left. Uh, ages three and up and ages seven up, two different ones that we have there. And then also while you're there on the website at highlandbaptistchurch.com under that info tab where you can download all those things, you can also download our prayer list. So I encourage you to do that. There are quite a few that are on our prayer list and we want to encourage you to be praying for them. And then also uh, as you're uh, here this morning in person, we want to encourage you and remind you, if you will, to fill out one of these connection cards. They are in the holders on the wall as you leave back that way and on the sides. There's a little holder on the side there. If you've not filled out one of these recently, uh, like in the last few weeks, uh, we need you to fill out one of these. It has a new question on it uh, that we need to know from you if you would like to receive announcements about special events or special things that are going on at church in addition to if you want to receive those prayer requests uh, that we send out through our call system. Uh, also there on our church website, you can go to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab there, and you can do your online giving. There should be offering envelopes there uh, in the pews for you uh, as you are here in person. And then let me go ahead and share with you our missionary uh, of the week. Uh, this is Jeff and Barbara Singerman. 
that we want to share this morning. Uh, they are serving uh, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, where they moved to there. They are carrying on God's work there. Uh, they are seeking out churches in the U.S. who would partner with them to help them to reach the unreached people groups uh, in Benin. Uh, Mark ministers among uh, the unreached people group in Benin and has partnered with U.S. churches to share the gospel there. Ten locals uh, have been attending churches there and they've started four church plants. And so you can read more about them uh, there in your bulletin. But we want to uplift them in our prayers as well as our service and all of our missionaries who are serving around the world. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our service this morning. Heavenly Father. We just want to give you the glory and the honor this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we can start our service uh, with baptism to worship you with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. So lead us this morning as we come into your presence. Uh, Lord, as we come into your presence, we recognize our sinfulness against your holiness. And we ask, Lord, for you to forgive us and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. Because, Lord, we don't want anything to hinder our prayers with you. Lord, as we're praying on behalf of people who are on our prayer list, as we're praying on behalf of these missionaries uh, this morning, uh, the Singermans who are serving there uh, in the Congo, we pray, God, that you will uh, bless them, protect them, open doors of opportunity for them to continue sharing the gospel and, and reaching lost souls there, seeing those lost souls discipled, and then those individuals, those people who are indigenous to that area, uh, helping to start those churches, calling out people to be pastors of those churches from the Congo. And so, Father, we just pray that you will bless them as well as all of our missionaries around North America and around the world. Lord, bless them today in a special way. And bless us as we come to worship you. We come, Lord, sometimes with the cares of this world on us, and we ask, Lord, that you will just remove all of those cares, all of those distractions from us. Help us to focus on you, to listen to you, to sing praise to your name, and may you be glorified and honored in all that we say and do this morning. Morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike. What a way to start service, right? Wonderful. In consecutive orders. And uh, the last one, I kind of pulled one on the choir this Wednesday night and very few of them knew the song. Uh, when, when we had chose the song, my wife said, well, you can tell you didn't grow up in a Baptist church because I didn't know it either. But uh, anyway, we're going to start this morning with Redeemed. And if you want to join us and stand and sing 531, the verses are on the screen, but in the book 531, hymn 531. That's Pat. Thank 
The next hymn is 540 for those of you that like using the book. So let's turn to hymn 540 and sing Saved, Saved. song mentioned too that the children's church will be gathering over here during the song over on the piano side and now we're going to sing the song that uh, I pulled over on the choir this this Wednesday night it's hymn 541 and it's why do I sing about Jesus and here we go won't you stand and join us <coughs> she's going to play it through
Deep in my heart there's a gladness. Jesus has saved me from sin. Maybe we're going to sing another one. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? 
Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of Mark as we continue our walk through the life of Jesus. We're going to begin with verse 1 and verse 2, and what an appropriate song for us uh, as we look at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ that shows His glory and His majesty, all that He is and all that He has done for us. Let's stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word. Mark chapter 9, verse 1 and verse 2. And He said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for your word this morning, for the songs that have been sung, for just the experience of worship, for the baptisms that have happened. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor. Father, I pray that as we come into this passage this morning, into the glory and the splendor of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ, may it be as if we are there with Jesus and, and those three disciples who are there on that mountain. And Father, I pray that we will experience your presence with us this morning. For you've promised in your word where two or three are gathered in your name, there shall you be also. And so, Father, I pray that whether we're here in person or whether we're watching there online, may your spirit move us, Lord, this morning to worship you with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. You know, our kids continually watch us. And the more they watch us, the more they imitate us, for better or for worse. As they learn to talk, their words begin to mirror our words. You know, sometimes we wonder, where did our kids learn to say that? Well, they learned it from us. Or they learned it from someone that they were listening to, whether it was on TV or, or, or a friend that they had. Uh, the more you, they learn to talk, their words begin to mirror ours. As they learn to make decisions, uh, they, they'll begin processing things like us. As they see our lives, they will in many ways begin to look like us. And that is a humbling reality for us to realize this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this comes the Lord who is the Spirit. And so understand this, the more that we look on Jesus, the more we become like him. The more we fix our attention and our affections on Him, the more our lives begin to resemble His. And so as we're reading through the Gospels and looking at the life of Jesus, our goal ought to be that we would look on the Lord Jesus and that as we see Him, that we would want to become like Him. Now notice that word uh, there, that word transfigured in verse 2. It's the same word that we read right there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 that's translated transformed. It's the word in the Greek called uh, metamorpho. 
Uh, and you'll realize where we get that word, from, where we get our English word from that in just a moment. Uh, it's used to, to describe how we're transformed into the image of Christ. Uh, now, in both instances, in Mark's gospel and in Paul's letter there to the Corinthians, uh, this word refers to a change of form. Like we're transformed into the image of Christ, we begin to take on a new form that is the life of Christ, uh, that the very image of Christ that begins to transform the way we think, the way we feel, the way we believe, the way we act, and the way that we worship. Now Paul uses that same word in another letter of his to the church at Rome. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, a very familiar verse to many of us that says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And if that's what being transformed means for us, then what does it mean in what we're looking here in this passage for Jesus to be transformed or to be transfigured? Now, this chapter begins with a scene of glory on a mountaintop and shows uh, that Jesus Christ, the King, is the theme of the entire chapter. During that week, uh, the disciples must have thought and discussed with what Jesus had meant in the previous discussions that we had looked at last week in Mark's Gospel in chapter 8 when he started talking about his death. They didn't want to hear any of that, especially Peter. You remember Peter's the one who spoke up and said, uh, Jesus, he pulled him to the side, you remember? And he began to rebuke Jesus because Jesus was talking about uh, th that I have to go and suffer, I have to go and die. And, and so the disciples must have been thinking about that all week and discussing what Jesus meant by death and, and resurrection. And no doubt they were also wondering What's going to happen to all of those Old Testament promises and prophecies about the kingdom? If Jesus was going to build a church, what's going to happen to the promised kingdom if he's going to die? And so the text doesn't name the mountain where the miracle took place. But God met many people on mountains. You remember that God met uh, on a mountain with Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament. God met on a mountain with Moses on, on Mount Sinai. God met on a mountain with Elijah at Mount Horeb. Uh, God gave up his son for us on Mount Calvary. And it was from a mountain that he ascended to heaven uh, from the Mount of Olives and it's to a mountain that he's coming back one day to that very same mount. Uh, the very fact that the transfiguration happens on a mountain ought to get our attention. It was probably Mount Hermon where this happened, which is close to Caesarea Philippi. This is a picture of Caesarea Philippi. Uh, this is Mount uh, Hermon. And then there's another mount that's close to the Sea of Galilee there called Mount Arbo. You can see the outcropping there and how the mountains drop off. That's some of the way it is in Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is beautiful. It rises 9,000 feet above sea level. It's kind of like our Rocky Mountains that even in the summer you can see snow on the top of it. It rises 12,000 feet above the Jordan Valley. The climb to the top would have taken an entire day. Uh, and, and so Peter and James and John, uh, they go with Jesus. Apparently they're the ones who formed, as we said, that inner circle around Jesus. And Jesus revealed more to these three than to any of the other disciples. I mean, think about it. They were there when, Je when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter. They were there with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're specifically named there. And they were on this Mount of Transfiguration. 
Why was it that these three were chosen to receive this additional revelation? Because not all 12 of the disciples went. Why just these three? Well, we, we don't know a lot, but we do know this. They were the ones who were able to receive this truth, and they needed to be encouraged, and they would share this truth with us through the Gospels. And each one of them was being chosen for a special reason, a very special reason. They would never forget this day. I mean, think about it. They weren't aware of it yet. But they were each going to fulfill unique positions. And this transfiguration, this, this event that happens on this mountaintop here, reveals four aspects of the glory of Jesus Christ the King. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning. I want you to see, first of all, the glory of His person. The glory of His person. You see that in verse 2 and in verse 3. Let's read those two verses, verse 2 again and then verse 3. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. So as far as the record is concerned here, this is the only time... This is the only time that Jesus revealed his glory in this way while he was on the earth. The word translated there, we said, is the word metamorphosis, where we get our English word metamorphosis from. And you know that a metamorphosis is a change on the outside that comes from the inside. So think about it, when a caterpillar builds that cocoon and later begins to emerge as a butterfly, it's because of this process of metamorphosis. So what happens to Jesus on this mount, and by virtue of us being believers in Christ, what ought to happen to us, is that Jesus' glory, notice, wasn't reflected, but it was radiated from within. There was a change on the outside that came from within as he allowed his essential glory to shine forth. And that's the way it is for us as believers. As we trust in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, it's not that we're just looking good on the outside. A lot of people fake it. A lot of people try to make things look like one way on the outside, like they've got it all together. Things are great with their family. Things are great with their job. Uh, things are great with their, their marriage. Things are great financially. Things are great everywhere. If you don't believe that, all you got to do is look at social media because that's all we post out there is the great things that are happening in our lives. And, and so you can pretend on the outside that everything's great and it not be great on the inside. What happens for us, though, when we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior is it's not just a change on the outside. It's a change on the outside that comes from a change on the inside. It changes, as we said, your thinking. It changes your way of talking. It changes your actions. And the only way that can happen is from the inside. Too often, we try to get people to conform on the outside, look the part. We even do that sometimes with our kids. We want them to behave a certain way, look a certain way, uh, act a certain way. And many times we're putting that pressure on them from the outside when what needs to happen is a change on the inside. They need to come to know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And, and even once you become a Christian as, and, and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you need to allow that process to begin happening more and more in your life, that you're, you're looking at Him more, you're listening to Him more, you're in His presence more, so that you begin to look more like Christ. 
So this was a change on the outside that came from on the inside as he allowed his essential glory to shine forth. And so this transfiguration, notice some things that it did. It strengthened Jesus because Jesus needed to be strengthened. I mean, think about it. He's about to go and to face the cross and the full weight of all that was involved in dying for the sins of the whole world. And the pressure there of bearing God's judgment Think about it, for all the sins, not only for the sins of those people in that day, at that moment, at that time, but all the sins of the people past in the Old Testament and all the people who would yet come to be, including us. And all of that sin would begin pressing in on him. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. He needed God's strength. He needed the Father's encouragement. He needed assurance in a very special way. And so this transfiguration would have strengthened not only him, it would have also strengthened the disciples. Because remember, they're already questioning Jesus about what's happening. Jesus, you're talking about dying, but, but you've told us you're the Messiah. In fact, in last week's passage, if you go back to Mark 8, that's where Peter proclaims to, to Jesus, you are the Christ. In other words, you are the Messiah, the one who was spoken of in the Old Testament. Even though Peter didn't understand all that that meant. This would have strengthened those disciples, particularly Peter, who had just confessed that. Peter had made, if, if, think about this, if he had made that confession after the Mount of Transfiguration, it wouldn't have been as meaningful as it was before. So all that happened before. Uh, now, this is a confirmation of what he's just professed. And so Peter believed, he confessed his faith, and then... He receives the assurance. Many years later, John, uh, he would recall this event as the Spirit guided him to write in John chapter 1 and verse 14 where he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the event John is talking about in John 1 verse 14, the transfiguration. And so Jesus laid aside all of his glory when he came to earth. To put it another way, here's what we see is that Jesus doesn't just mirror or imitate the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. And it's because of his finished work on the cross that he has received back his glory, and now he shares that glory with us when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. So remember that. Transfiguration means a change into another form, a transformation, a change of countenance, a complete change. Now notice how each gospel writer describes what happens on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew writes it this way. In Matthew 17 and verse 2. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Mark 9, 3 said, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Luke 9 verse 29 says, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. 
So God gave Jesus two very special experiences here. Mark says here about Jesus that his clothes became radiant. They became intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. Clorox couldn't compare. Apparently what we see here is that the glory of his godly nature was allowed to shine through his body. John 17, 5 says the glory, Jesus said this in his prayer uh, about the disciples as he's praying to the Father and, and about us. He said, the glory that I had with you before the world existed, that began to emanate through his body right through his clothes. And Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Think about this. In John's vision of Jesus, in the book of Revelation, he describes the glory of Christ in Revelation 1.16 as the sun shining in full strength. That word shining is a Greek participle, which means that shining is active. The transfiguration was a real active experience. It wasn't some illusion. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't just their imagination, if you will. It wasn't a reflection of the sun shining off of some rock or some glass or, or even off of some lake. Matthew says his face shone like the sun. The, the glory shining was the glory of the Lord's inner nature, of his godly nature actively shining through his being. The full glory of the Godhead. The full glory of the Godhead, that wasn't shining through Jesus. No one could ever stand in the full glory of the Lord's presence. Not in our present physical body. Apparently, God allowed only a small degree of the glory. Uh, only what these three disciples could bear to shine through the body of Jesus and into his clothing that bleached out his clothing. R remember that Moses, remember Moses, that he had to hide behind the cleft of the rock just to see the train uh, of the garment of, the, of God in his glory. When he came down off of that mountain from having received the Ten Commandments, his face shone brightly. And so understand this, as we surrender to the Spirit of God, He begins to transform us. He begins to change us. He begins to transfigure us from glory to glory. As we look into the Word of God, we see the Son of God, and we're transfigured by the Spirit of God into the glory of God. Notice secondly in these verses, the glory of His kingdom. The glory of his kingdom. Go back to verse 1. In verse 1 he said, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And then you read verse 4. And verse 4 says, And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So get the picture here. At the close of his sermon about cross-bearing, Jesus promised that some of his disciples would see him come in his glory and in his power. And he takes those three, Peter and James and John, as witnesses to the event. Now remember in the Old Testament, how many witnesses did you need to have? You needed to have at least two uh, to, to verify that something was real. Jesus takes three. You always see that with Jesus, don't we? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And now we see Peter, James, and John who come to be these witnesses. These three had been with Jesus, as we said, in the home of Jairus. They would go with him into the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. G. Campbell Morgan pointed out that these three occasions all had to do with death. When they were with him with Jairus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and this transfiguration. Jesus was teaching these three men, he said, that he was victor over death when he raised Jairus' daughter, and he surrendered to death when he was in the garden. The transfiguration would teach them that he was glorified in death. Because get the picture here. When Peter makes his rebuke to Jesus in, in the previous chapter, he thinks this is a bad thing that Jesus is going to have to suffer and Jesus is going to die. It was a bad thing. It was a horrible thing that Jesus had to take on our punishment. But it's the only way that we could be saved. It had to be someone who, who was in the flesh, who was human, who could pay the price, but it also had to be God uh, who, who could uh, pay the price. He was the only one who was perfect. And so Jesus was on this mountain alongside two men of God from the Old Testament. He was alongside Moses and Elijah. That's what we see there in verse 4. The presence of Moses and Elijah was significant because here's the point. Moses represented the law and Elijah represented the prophets of the Old Testament. Moses represented the law of God because God had met with him uh, and with his people in the book of Exodus uh, to give them his law, significantly that giving of the law that took place on the mount on Mount Sinai. While everyone else came among the Israelites had to stand back from uh, the mountain in fear, you remember it was Moses who went with God. Here's what Moses asked for and God's response. Moses said this in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18. Moses said, please show me your glory. Now, I don't know about you, but that's what I long to see. I love, long to see the glory of God. And Moses asked a, a reasonable uh, question there, and, and he said, I will make, this is what God says to him, I, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live in all of his glory, in all of his splendor. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then and only then will I take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And you read in those verses and the following verses and you find out that God kept his word. And Moses had been given this unprecedented glimpse of God. In Exodus 34 verse 6, it says the Lord passed before him. And after seeing God and receiving those two tablets of stone containing the Ten Commandments, you remember, as we said a while ago, when Moses came down off that mountain, you remember his physical appearance and how it was affected. Exodus 34 and verse 29 says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. 
And Aaron and all the people of Israel, they saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. As the one God used to reveal his law, Moses had reflected divine glory. So that's who Moses is. But then there's also Elijah that's up here on this Mount of Transfiguration. Elijah's the other person on the side of Jesus on the mountain. And he plays a different role. While Moses reflected divine glory, Elijah proclaims divine glory. You see, understand this. You remember in the story of Elijah, uh, his, his confrontation with the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's maybe the clearest example uh, of this truth. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal uh, on, on another mountain, on Mount Carmel. And he proclaimed the glory of the one true God over Baal and over all those other false gods that were being worshipped by God's people. And Elijah... He proclaimed God's glory, and he brought down fire from heaven. And then it says this in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 9. Remember when Elijah fled for his life in fear of Jezebel? Here's what it says in verse 9. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What was he doing there? He was not in the place he needed to be. God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He allowed fear in his heart, and he said, Go out, God did. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire... The sound of a low whisper. Elijah learned this, that the glory of God isn't just revealed in impressive displays of power, but also in less spectacular ways, even in a soft whisper. The whisper of his voice, even speaking to you this morning. So God had taken these two men, Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, and he took them to strategic points, strategic points to a mountain where he had shown them his glory, and their lives were changed in visible ways as a result. All of this helps us as a backdrop for Matthew 17. Matthew 17 is the other account uh, that we see in this, and it's the backdrop here for what we're seeing in Mark's gospel. All of the law and the prophets point to Christ. And all of the law and the prophets are fulfilled in Christ. Not one word of the Old Testament scriptures will be unfulfilled. 
Understand this, we are part, if you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you are a part of the kingdom of God on this earth. So, so Jesus isn't just the prophet promised by Moses to speak God's word and to deliver his people, but he's also the messenger preceded by Elijah. Notice something else in this passage about Jesus and who he is. Notice the glory of his cross in verse 9. <clears throat> verse 9 says, As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So, so go back and remember, the disciples were shattered because of what Jesus had said was going to, that he was going to Jerusalem to die. Look back at Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. Mark chapter 8 verse 31 says this, And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. That wasn't enough though. Notice he says, and be killed. And then he talks about his resurrection and after three days, rise again. And so what the disciples needed to learn from this Mount of Transfiguration, what we needed to learn is that suffering and glory go together. Peter was against him going to Jerusalem to die, so Jesus had to teach him that apart from his suffering and apart from his death, there could be no glory. In 1 Peter, uh, in, in his first letter that he writes, in 1 Peter, we find that Peter finally gets this because he continually writes about suffering and glory. Suffering and glory over and over and over again. Think about this. Moses and Elijah had talked with Jesus about his exodus, about his departure that he would accomplish at Jerusalem. Luke 9, 31 says... Who appeared in glory, speaking of these two, of Moses and Elijah, who appeared there on the Mount of Transfiguration with him. And notice what happened. They, they appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. So, so here's Moses and here's Elijah and they're talking with Jesus and these three other disciples are watching what's happening and they hear them talking about Jesus' departure. They hear about him talking literally about his exodus, if you will. You see, his suffering and his death was not going to be some accident. His suffering and his death was always a part of God's plan. It was a part of an accomplishment there. Peter used the word departure or exodus in describing his own death. Uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1, when he finally gets it in verse 15, he says, And I will make every effort so that after my departure or after my exodus, this very same departure uh, that these two were talking with Jesus about, uh, that you may be able at any time to recall these things. You see, for the believer, death isn't a one-way street into nothingness. It's an exodus. It's a departure. It's a release uh, from the bondage of this life into the wonderful freedom of the life that's to come in heaven. And it's because that Jesus died and paid the price that you can be redeemed, purchased, and set free. When he died to accomplish what he died to accomplish wasn't some political freedom. It was spiritual freedom. Freedom from this world and freedom from sin. But then notice one final characteristic that we see here of Jesus' glory. We see the glory of his submission, the glory of his submission. 
Now, when we think about glory, we think about all the grandeur and the splendor of it. You think about kings wearing their crowns and that kind of thing. Uh, we think about glory, uh, but here we see the glory of his submission. Uh, look, if you will, uh, at verse 5. Verse 5 says, And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Let's stop right there for just a moment. Peter who was the very one who had declared in Matthew 16, 16, and back in Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 8, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He couldn't understand why Jesus, who is the Son of God, would submit to evil men and willingly suffer and even die. You see, this transfiguration was God's way of teaching Peter that Jesus is glorified when we deny ourselves, when we take up our cross, when we follow him. Jesus is glorified in our lives. Uh, the world's philosophy is save yourself. But our philosophy as a Christian is surrender yourself to God. And, and so as he stood there in his glory, Jesus proved to these three disciples that surrender always leads to glory. First the suffering, then the glory. First the cross, then the crown. You see, the transfiguration gave the disciples a taste of glory. These three disciples, they were tasting some of heaven's joy and peace and security and fulfillment and perfection, and they didn't want to leave this hallowed ground. Every one of these disciples would experience suffering eventually and eventually death. And it was Peter who he said was against the cross when Jesus first mentioned his death uh, back in Mark chapter 8 and verse 32 uh, where it says that he said plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You see, in the garden... You remember what Peter did? He used his sword to defend Jesus. In fact, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter tries to tell Jesus what to do. Notice what he says here in this verse, in verse 5. He says, Jesus, uh, let us build a, a place here. Uh, notice what he says again. He says there, it is good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, so that all of them could remain there and enjoy the glory. But notice what happens in the next verses. The father interrupts Peter. Now notice Peter said this in verse 6, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. But then verse 7 says, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. So think about what happens here. The Father, God, speaks to Peter and to these who are there. And he says, listen to my only begotten son, my beloved son. Because here's what the Father was not going to allow. Now we don't always get the picture of that because we just read through the Scripture so quickly. But notice what happens here. Peter, in essence, is wanting to build three tents. One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. What is that doing? That is putting Jesus on the same ground as Moses and Elijah. That's making him equal with them, or them equal with him. And, and the Father speaks and says, no, listen, listen to Jesus. Listen to him only. 
Notice what verse 7 goes on to say, or verse 8 goes on to say, And suddenly, looking around them, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. What God the Father was saying to them is that salvation is not in Moses, it's not in the law. Salvation is not in Elijah, in what he prophesied of the coming Messiah. Salvation is in the only one who's left here standing, Jesus Christ and him alone. Don't build a tent for these three. Build one for just one. Give your heart, give your life to him. And so he cautions them, Jesus, it says here, Jesus only, that is God's pattern. And so as Jesus and these three disciples come down from this mountain, he tells them, don't reveal what they had seen, not even to the other nine disciples. Jesus told them not to tell anybody about their experience until he had risen from the dead. And the mentioning of the rising from the dead began to cause them to question again, what did he mean? Notice verse 9. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Think about what they had just witnessed. They had just witnessed the glory of Jesus. They had seen Moses, they had seen Elijah with him, and they thought that he was going to set up his kingdom now. That's what all this means, this transfiguration. It's about him uh, delivering us from the Roman Empire. They thought he's going to set up his kingdom now and that he would now reign in his glory and his splendor. Verse 11, so they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Why then, in other words, why did Elijah leave? Because the scribes had said that Elijah had to come before the Messiah would set up his kingdom. And so Jesus answered the disciples and he corrected their view that the scribes had always taught. And these three men, they're still mystified, but these three men, uh, they, they had been taught that Elijah would come first to prepare uh, the, for the establishing of the kingdom. But the scripture also taught that the Messiah had to die. And what, that's what they were looking for. And so the presence, so was the presence of Elijah on the mountain, they were basically asking, was that the fulfillment of this prophecy, the prophecy of Malachi? Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 and verse 6 says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Jesus gave the twofold answer to their question. Notice verse 12. He says to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? In other words, he reminds them, it's not just about the glory right now. It's about the suffering and the death that has to happen once for all for the sins of the world. But he says in verse 13, but I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him what they pleased as it is written of him. Yes, Elijah would come as Malachi 4, 5, and 6 had promised, but spiritually speaking, Elijah had already come in the person of John the Baptist. So when will Elijah come to restore all things? Think about this. Do you remember, have you read the book of Revelation? 
In the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 11, there's a story about two witnesses who are going to come and proclaim the gospel message to the people of the world. One of those is Elijah. One day, one day, as believers, our experience in the day of redemption will undoubtedly be much like what they experienced. One day, we're going to experience the Shekinah glory of God. We're going to see its full manifestation on Jesus Christ. Believers are going to still, are going to hear the voice of God proclaiming Jesus to be his son, expressing perfect approval of his redemptive work, and rejoicing that he has been heard and has been heard throughout all eternity. And then what's going to happen with us, the Bible tells us in Revelation, we're going to fall on our faces before Christ in awe and adoration and in worship. And we're going to experience the Lord's intercessory work. And then we'll feel the Lord's hand reaching out to touch us and to lift us up. And finally, we'll stand in the Lord's righteousness and perfection, living in a state of glory forever and ever, and will witness and experience the Lord's preeminence throughout all eternity. Oh, that our prayer would be the prayer of Moses. God, show us your glory. Show us your glory, Lord. Show us your hand at work. Show us your presence. Lord, we long to see you. And to be more like you. Oh, that our hearts would pray, show us your glory. Know this, when you experience the glory of God, just like it did for Moses and Elijah, just like it did for those three disciples, just like it did for Christians in the New Testament who believed in Christ through those witness of those three, when you experience the glory of God, It'll change your life forever from the inside out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that maybe this message has spoken to someone in their heart. Lord, so often all we can see is the world. All we can see are the waves crashing around us. All we can see is the troubles and the trials and the tribulations. Sometimes, Lord, all we can see is the wickedness of sin all around us. What we need right now more than ever before in our lives and in the church is to see the glory of you. Father, even if it's just the hem of your garment, like Moses saw in the cleft of the rock, Lord, I pray that we will come into your presence more than ever before. And that when we are in your word and when we are in our times of prayer, and Lord, when we're drawing close to you on a daily basis, Lord, I pray that as we come into the presence of your glory through your word and through prayer, Father, may it change us, metamorphose us from the inside out. And that you would make us more and more into the image of Christ. Father, I pray that his glory will shine through us. Lord, it's not about us. This life is not about us at all. This life for us as believers is all about you. 
and making your glory known to the peoples of this earth, to those who don't know Christ as their Lord and their Savior. So I pray this morning, Lord, that if there's one who has never trusted, who's never surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in their heart and their life, I pray they'll come forward in this invitation to surrender their life to you forevermore. And Father, I pray that as they meet you in your presence, may you change them forevermore from the old creature to a new creation in Christ. Father, I pray that if there are those who are here this morning who need to do that, may they just call out to you and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on the cross, was buried in the tomb. I believe he arose on the third day for my sins. I trust in him. I surrender to him. And I ask you to come into my life and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Father, may they do that this morning in their heart. But there may be others, Lord, that you're leading to become a part of this fellowship to help us to make the glory of God known to, to Tullahoma and to the cities around and to the nation around us, to the world around us. Use us, Lord, in your kingdom work, and may you be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. As we stand, as we sing number 321, the Savior is waiting. Will you make your way and come? Would you stand with us? For just a moment, Brother Mike is going to share our announcements, right?
far as announcement, we want to continue to remember Miss Linda Smith and, and her recovery from her illness, but she wanted to leave a message. Uh, as far as the Awana kickoff, it has been postponed until September the 7th. In addition to that, we want to continue to remember Miss Beverly Daniel and others in her congregation that are experiencing recoveries from illnesses. And, uh, also want to make mention of the deacon election that's, that's underway today. Um, the ballots are on both sides of, of the building here as you go past or even out the door, and they're also out front. So please take that, make it a matter of prayer, and then the ballot box, when you bring it back, is sitting out on the... Uh, table in front of the pastor's office. So when you come back, just fold it up and stick it in the box. Uh, I want to also just reference the fact that the bulletin is there and there are many things happening this week. Um, just take a look at that and go through that. And if you have any issues or anything you need to uh, ask about, contact the church or see Brother Jim and uh, we'll try to answer the best we can. Anybody else? Continue to remember Miss Saunders. Okay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the way we've started the service and the baptismal. And Lord, just thank you for just the, the smiles in the house today. Lord, I pray that if someone has, has been touched by Brother Jim's words from you, that they don't wait, that they make that change and they accept you as their Savior because you're waiting. I pray that as we go from here today that we carry you with us and reflect you in such a way that others want to know more about you in the coming week. Lord, thank you for this fellowship. Thank you for our leaders and Brother Matt and Brother Jim and their families. Lord, bless them. And each family represented here, Lord, uh, we love you. And we'll talk later. In Christ's name, amen.